Welcome along to episode 764 of the Mill Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, Jamie Jones lets us know about the Tipsy Panto. They're setting to Birmingham, Litchfield and a number of other Midlands venues through 2024. We'll be having a bit of a catch up with Tom Reed Wilson as we talk about the doggy dictionary and some of those words that can make your four-legged friends suddenly get both excited and concerned. We'll be having an atto with Rod Bissett from the Grange Players all about their latest production, A Woman in White. And Simon Walkin joins us to let us know all about the implications for self-assessment on HMRC and also what's going on when it comes down to the likes of Etsy and eBay if you're earning from makes that you put together yourself or from sales of items that you have bought to sell on for profit. That's all on the way on the show this week. Welcome to the Milk Bar. 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 Uh, welcome to the milk bar. The Woman in White is the latest offering from the Grange Players over at the Grange Playhouse. Rod Blissey is here to tell me quite what's going on this March. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, Jason. How about yourself? Oh, all good. And uh, looking forward to finding out more about your latest show. What do we have in store this time? Well, this one is a bit of it's a bit of an onion in that we've got layers to this one Ooh. you see at first sight this is a period drama <laughs> it's got your usual big stately home it's got your dashing hero it's got your lovely woman and eventually it's a will they won't they get together thing right but this is actually been called the first ever detective story Mm -hmm. because behind the whole scenes is a mystery that is ongoing that the heroes are trying to uncover and write some rather dastardly wrongs well this this itself comes from the the novel by wilkie collins uh written by constance cox so this is a story that existed before it became a play and uh then it's what period was this all coming from so this is all coming from the sort of Victorian period. Uh, like you say, this this comes from a, an original story. When the story was first published, it was actually done as a serial. Mm-hmm. It was like a come back next week and find out the next part. Because Dickens used to do a lot, a lot of that sort of stuff back in Victorian times. So it was, it was a theme that happened in the, in the, in the press at the time. Oh, absolutely. And like, like it's nice that you've mentioned... Um, uh, Dickens, because actually the author of The Woman in White was a friend of Dickens. Mm-hmm. And so, like I say, the story when published came out every, like every few weeks. People were left with cliffhangers and they desperately wanted to know what happened next. What was the resolution to this story? And the great thing with the play now is all those cliffhangers are still in there. Very little's actually been changed for the play audience. Mm-hmm. So it's a chance to, uh, every time, you could have probably about five intervals in this, couldn't you, uh, with, 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 with all of those moments. Uh, but uh, obviously not the case. But it does mean that scene changes are, as you say, rather dramatic. And how does the, how does the scene work? Because you mentioned the stately home. Are we seeing different places or is it uh, somewhere that's set a- around just the, the one location? We are set purely in the, the drawing room of Limeridge Hall. 
where we're introduced to our main cast of characters, anecdotes are given, strange occurrences are mentioned, and it's from there that the whole mystery unfolds and eventually uh, concludes. So a chance to, to learn about the characters as you go along, and how many people do we meet on stage? We meet about 10 or so people, which is actually going to be the first mystery that our that our audience is going to find out is how many cast is actually in this one, because I'll be honest, I can't remember there's that many of us. <laughs> um, but we are introduced first to Walter Hartwright, who is a... He's a drawing teacher and he's mm -hmm. been employed by the house to basically entertain the two young ladies of the house and give them something to do over the summer. Just in passing, Walter happens to just mention a rather strange occurrence where he was out for the evening and came across a rather strange woman dressed all in white. Ooh. And she was warning him about certain people that he had that point didn't know, but she mentions Limeridge Hall. He turns up to Limeridge Hall and doesn't think much of it until he's introduced to uh, young Laura Fairley, one of his pupils, and he's remarked about how similar Laura and the woman in white look. And it is from there then that he seeks to solve the mystery and put right what's going wrong in terms of people getting used, people being maltreated, marriage and conveniences are happening. It's a whole hornet's nest that he unwittingly uncovers just after taking on a summer job. So that's going to be our cliffhanger. So we don't know any more than that at this point, but you set the scene rather nicely there. So we can, so. yeah, we can, we've got people intrigued. I can tell. Uh, what is your part in all of this? I am, I, I am uh, Walter Hartwright. I am the drawing teacher. Um, and so that will hopefully give audiences another reason to come down because who who wouldn't want to see this on stage? Well, That's absolutely, yeah, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's almost a requirement, isn't it? So uh, your fan club will be there selling badges and t-shirts probably on the way out. Uh, but uh, there's they do t-shirts these days, aren't they? Uh, but uh, so uh, that would be good fun. But no, it it sounds like uh, an intriguing one, but it's uh, chilling. But as some lighter moments too. Oh, absolutely, yeah. We the lovely thing with this one is with the whole cast that you've got with all the different characters, you have your rather touching moments you've got your comedic moments you've got your darker more dastardly moments there really is in this one absolutely something for everyone so worth getting yourself along to i say it's all taking place at uh, the grange playhouse now this is just next to the arboretum over in warsaw isn't it absolutely we are just on the broadway north just next door to the Arboretum. You cannot miss us unless you're driving with your eyes shut. And it's not advised that. I'd, uh, I've been there, done that. Don't do it again. Uh, so you get hold of the box office on 07909 036 835. That's 07909 036 835. Or ticketsource.co.uk forward slash the grange dash players dash LTD. And uh, you can uh, get yourself uh, along. Grab your tickets. £12 a ticket. It's the 14th through to the 23rd of March. It is a 7.30 curtain up. And who knows what happens by the time
time that curtain comes down, it'll be intriguing. There'll be mystery. There'll be uh, a, a stately home to visit. It's just it's almost like having a National Trust weekend, but only on stage, uh, with probably more mystery and uh, the the occasional woman in white wandering past as well. Absolutely, we've got we've got the whole thing. And if that's not enough, if our audiences come on a Friday or a Saturday night, I will guarantee them a late night bar as well. There you go. What more could you ask for? A nice night out, chill out, relax in the theatre after the show and have a, a great time watching uh, the work of the Grange players. Well, Rod, keep up the good work, break a leg, and we look forward to uh, this production and hearing more about what you have in the programme in the not-too-distant future. Looking forward to it, Jason. Now, when it comes to our pets, there's lots of words that surround the wonderful world that we live in with them. Whether it's walkies and treats, they know those words, even if they can't talk back to us. Uh, somebody who's going to help them communicate, I'm absolutely sure, is celebrity lexicologist Tom Reed Wilson and pet plan vet Dr. Brian Faulkner. Good afternoon to you both. Hello, Jason. <laughs> Lovely to see you. Good to see you both. And now, first of all, Tom, uh, you often share uh, some words and their meanings online. Some of them are just a little bit fruity. Uh, but when it comes to the world <laughs> of our pets, uh, we, uh, we there's all sorts of language that they follow, isn't there? Yes, no, no fruity language. Um, not in the case of our doggy dictionary, anyway. <laughs> it's um, thoroughly PG, I assure you. But um, yes, today I am a petymologist, which is a wonderful portmanteau uh, of pet and etymology. And it's really inspired by how inventive pet owners have been to galvanize, motivate, inspire their various animals to get to the vets. Because I think sometimes you utter the V word and those antennae shoot up and it is a little bit anxiety inducing. And of course, language is a tremendous tool to take the sting out of that whole experience. So uh, whether it's a code word for the vet, like doctor or Dr. Barker or a bespoke one like the lovely vet that flanks me, Dr. Brian Faulkner, where uh, he's known to some of his animals as as Uncle Brian. And it's wonderfully bespoke, that sort of familiarity. Or even the things, as you say, that uh, put wings on their paws like treats or like walkies that have their own wonderful synonyms like scranules in the north of England using the northern word scran for food or the wonderfully onomatopoeic pitter-patter. Uh, all of these things can spirit an animal along, I think. It's all about you know, the noises they hear because it is only the same as you know, barking to each other when it comes to dogs. I'm sure they understand some of that, don't they? Oh, that's absolutely true. And we found with the Doggy Dictionary, all of which is on the Pet Plan website, um, that there is a kind of lyricism to a lot of the words that are included. And even if it's not a kind of a, a direct intellectual comprehension, there is a, a joy in the music of certain words, which really do put wings on their paws. Well, uh, Uncle Brian, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Pet Plan Vet. Um, <laughs> sorry, Brian, I'm so sorry. <laughs> when, when you are dealing with it, with the pets, I mean, the things and, and, and noises that you can make to keep them calm too. Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about the wider environment within the practice, sometimes just the smells and, of course, the degree of light and the noise and the telephone and just the hustle and bustle can be very, very disruptive for pets being there. And then the individual interactions, of course, I'm, I'm quite tall, so therefore I'd spend a lot of time getting down to their height to stop being intimidating for them and speaking to them in a gentle way, making sure that you approach them in a way that's not intimidating, but just being 
friendly and attractive to them to take away that fear, realizing that most dogs, at least initially coming in through the doors, have got some sort of anxiety. So really working hard to try and make them running towards you and scratching the practice door to get in. <laughs> Which they do in Brian's case. They, they like it, yeah. Well, not all of them, of course, but we work hard at trying to do it. And it's not just me, it's my reception team. And, and you know, many veterinary practices will do this to, because we know it's like us going to the dentist. It's oh, never really that pleasant. So we want to make them really enjoy it. So as Tom was saying, use of language, but also use of body language uh, around that, as well as just taking your time being patient. Never had been tempted to dress up as a chihuahua so that they're on their level correctly? Well... The odd time, but that's a whole other different podcast. We won't go there. <laughs> but when there really is physical evidence in Brian's case of how how anxious they are to meet him or the, the dogs that have been before, isn't there, Brian? Well, one of the things I point out and I love when I go into my day and the outside of the practice door, one of the first jobs I have to do is actually wipe away the paw prints from the previous day <laughs> where dogs literally have been pawing at the door to get in. Not all of them, of course, but it's a great sign and we take a lot of effort to make that happen. Yeah, as long as it's not on the other side trying to get out. That yeah, that's worse. <laughs> yes, that's worse. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, but Tom, with all these words and the doggy dictionary, it must have been great for putting it together. Uh, but uh, the, there's some interesting things there. I mean, you, there's uh, uh, the, uh, the the likes of T&T. Tea tea. Tell us oh, a bit about that yes. one. Oh, yes. This is one of my favourites, actually. This is post-vet. And what we have done with the Doggy Dictionary is we've run the gamut of the whole experience from trying to incentivize the animal initially uh, right to the administering of whatever uh, Brian might have given the animal to take. And so TNT is a, a, an initialization of tablet and treat. So um, they, you can take them together. And of course, it's slightly reminiscent of a GNT. And it's really fun to say. So this is how we get you to take your antibiotics when you need them. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. Combine it with a GNT. <laughs> but now, things I, I like about all these words are that there's, there's normally quite a, a sharp sound and then a relaxing one straight afterwards. So the, the T and T, and then you know boo boo as you know uh, with yes, the, and the, moon, the way to refer moon. to an injury. They're, they're, they're all things that you can half sing. Moon moon is uh, one that is ubiquitous. I, I learned this uh, in the research for calming an animal. And you can tell straight away. I mean, it's a little bit like sitting next to Brian because his his vocal tone, his his uh, larynx identity is so gentle and soothing and musical. And you can imagine that calming an animal. And it's true with these words too. They lend themselves to being musicalized in a way. So almost singing it, certainly not quite howling it, because that would probably set off your four-legged friend. <laughs> yes, not but, an allulation. No, we don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> but again, Brian, uh, when you've got someone who is a, a nervous patient, uh, are they sometimes more nervous when their mom and dad are with them rather than when they're just with you? Yeah, that's a really good question. And a lot of dogs behave more relaxed when we do take them away from their owners. It was interesting during COVID when we had to have that social distancing and we used to take pets away to, to be able to work with them. And I would say a lot of them actually relaxed because a lot of animals want to trust the person they're with. 
and obviously they defer and default to their owners and sometimes there's that confusion of where they are but when we take them away they actually relax with us but not all of them some of them do become more anxious but I would say about 80% of them so as Tom has been talking about there's the vocal language but a big element is the body language and we need to send a message that to the pet to say it's okay there's nothing to be frightened here we'll, we'll mm -hmm. it's like a kid you know sending that message of reassurance sometimes in our desperate attempts to reassure them and make them feel better we almost send a message subconsciously to say actually maybe there is something to worry about here so we try and work on that to say it's mm -hmm. okay you're in no danger but with again with the with the parents of all the the owners being away from them at yep. least i suppose they're not thinking that any harm that's come to them because of the nature of what you need to do to make them better is also a threat to their owner as well and and taking the owner away i should think may ease that concern for the dog yeah we disassociate that um so therefore they blame uncle brian rather than blame mum and dad <laughs> the best way of doing it and uh, <laughs> again tom i mean have you got a, a dog do you regularly have conversations with four-legged friends i'm what you call a poppins of pets really because uh because i'm a freelancer and because i'm single i'm the first port of call for all my chums with dogs so i'm frequently dog sitting mm -hmm. um and there's a beagle in my life that i spend an awful lot of time with and have even been to the vets with so uh yes i love it i love it so it's a, a great way of looking after your animals of course the i'll important say thing, i'll yeah. say and they say they've been out to have the conversation too but the important thing is we make sure we have cover for when they need it and that's that's, that's a, a big part of making sure they get treated quickly how do we find out more uh, about that side of things so everyone can have uh, an uncle brian well on petland's website there is the doggy dictionary it's there there's lots of information on the petland website as well as the youtube channel which gives you tips and tactics about how to make your dog less anxious during this veterinary visit and uh, Tom, have any of them ever followed your accent when you've been uh, having conversing with these dogs? <laughs> <laughs> well, I sing to them a lot, and I find that they do get quite imitative when, when, uh, when you sing. You know, sometimes, sometimes their alulation sort of matches the notes. Before you know it, we'll have the next big hit record on our hands and uh, Tom will be there with a the dog orchestra and Brian looking after the health care. Uh, so I, I think that sounds From like From your lips writer. to someone's ears. It, it could happen. There'll be a tour. Tom Reed wilson celebrity lexicologist, and Dr. Brian Faulkner, pet vet from Petplan. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. The team behind the Tipsy Panther are once more heading for the bar and getting themselves on stage for a bit of a giggle. To tell us more about what's going on, I'm joined now by Jamie Jones. Hello, sir. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, and I hope we find you well at the moment, at least. Well, I'm not tipsy, which is quite good. Um, yes. You know, <laughs> yeah, that was for the interview yeah, process. Very well, thank you. Now, obviously, yes. it's, it's back <laughs> for a new year, and this year's Jack and the Beanstalk, a 2024 UK tour. So we've not long opened the show. Um, as I say, it's going like all over the UK, um, but sort of local to us, we're doing Birmingham at the Crescent Theatre on the 16th and 17th of February. And then we go forward a couple of months and then we're in Litchfield on the 18th of May. And there's still a fair few tickets left for that. So that's fairly mm -hmm. local. And you're stopping um, up in Redditch along the way as well, aren't you? That's on the 1st and 2nd of March. So there's lots of sort of local dates mm -hmm. um, for us this year, which is great. Because I rarely get to perform locally. I mean, the amount of work that I do that's all over the UK, I'm sure, you know, the local council have a barring clause on me performing <laughs> <laughs> within like 40 miles of my home. Um, but yes, we've got loads of local dates, which is really nice because everybody always goes, oh, when can we come and see you? 
Um, and there's loads of dates now, so there's no excuse for people to book their tickets, I suppose. <laughs> yep, so they, they've got, they can get along, have a good time. Uh, you've got Brighton yeah. in September as well, and uh, hopefully yeah. you're all sort of still faring, faring fairly well by then, because uh, this panto is unusual, and as much as although we don't condone excessive drinking, uh, it the, the, the entire cast end up uh, a, a little squiffy by the end of the night. Yeah, just a little bit. So the way that... Um, this tipsy panto works is we're doing Jack and the Beanstalk. I don't know if we've mentioned it. Uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, um, and it's a tipsy version. They vote via social media for who they want to get a little bit squiffy. Um, usually there's a choice of three people, which so is usually either myself, the villain, or um, the comic who's uh, uh, Jack Trot and the thing. Um, so you message us via Messenger. Um, and we collate all the votes and then during the show it's announced live who gets a little bit tipsy sometimes it's one of us sometimes it's a couple of us sometimes it's you know it just all depends on the show that day depends on the audience but whoever you vote for you're in for such a great night because <laughs> it's not just us you know being drunk on stage it's a <laughs> I mean I would say this we're plugging it um it's a really great show with loads of heart great songs great dancing like great scenery we've got great special effects in it as well we've got like um a huge giant as well which is great uh a beanstalk that grows in front of your eyes there's loads of things like Daisy the Cows it's like uh, although we're touring it's not very tourable production because it's quite a huge show mm -hmm. um but it's it's great um but it's dead funny um the audience is so far have been loving it we've been getting standing ovations um wherever we go um and it's just great and you know if you want a laugh come and see us and even if you don't like panto we take the mickey out of panto so it's a panto for people that don't like panto also <laughs> but it's also a panto for people that love panto so you know we're ticking all the boxes um and I think it's it's great. I would say that because I'm in it. <laughs> but yeah, but there's a reason that you were invited back after all the fun you helped create last year as well. Yeah, so last year we did Aladdin and I played Widow Twanky. Um, I only did half of that tour because there was another guy that did the first half. Um, but this year they've asked me back for the full season. I think it's only because I'm cheap. <laughs> but um <laughs> you know uh but it's great we get to see all these places in the uk we get to go to places that you rarely get to go to so so far we we opened in um chippenham a couple of weekends ago then we did uh this last week sorry uh we did middlesbrough stoke and then swansea ground which was lovely so we're literally going from one end of the country to the other so there's a lot of driving involved, um, but it's it's great. Well, it's the Crescent in Birmingham. That's the 16th and 17th. It's a Friday and a Saturday. And uh, obviously you, you won't be driving home if you're selected as the other person who's getting tipsy on stage, will you? No, we're uh, we're put up in hotels, which is all right. We've got um, it's very very carefully planned. So we have like designated drivers that drive us around. Obviously, there's only one or two of us that get a bit drunk, um, but we have designated drivers that you know drive us to the hotels. It's all very safe, but it's also nice because uh, in Birmingham we're doing two dates, which is the 16th and the 17th. Um, so it gives us that bit more freedom to probably go a bit extra further because we're not doing a get out on the 16th. Um, <laughs> go out after the show you know um but it's great again a great theater last time uh, i haven't done the tipsy panto here but i've done other shows at birmingham um audiences are great um and it's a great place to be in um you know just a big city there's so much and it has such a rich history of panto as well with the birmingham hippodrome and mm -hmm. and you find the show works really well in places that panto thrive so like birmingham where they've got one of the biggest in the country it works really well 
when we come to Birmingham because they know the shtick of it all. Um, but yeah, so very much looking forward to Birmingham and it's fairly close to home. And I think there's still a fair few tickets left for that. So you can book them at, I'm going to read this off the poster now, crescent-theatre.co.uk. There you go. Okay, look over the days. Now, you'll, you'll find it's not labelled as Tipsy Panto in there. Uh, you're looking for Jack of the Beanstalk, though. 16 oh, plus is it not? Disability. It is oh, not yes. called Tipsy, Sorry. is it? It's, it's, it's got the P word on it. Yes, P word. Uh, registered <laughs> trademark, but um, that's what we call it anyway, uh, amongst many other things. But obviously, for the purposes of this, we'll keep it clean. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I won't even spell it for you, but if you want to find him on the socials, uh, it's the P word up panto uh you can work it out from there so have a brilliant time with it obviously uh one thing we needed to do is obviously you should always drink responsibly uh you guys are professionals and you are very closely monitored to make sure you're looked after during this aren't you yes we're professional drinkers so um as opposed to amateur drinkers which is completely different yeah that's um, the way it works. yeah it's all done very responsibly but you know everybody has a great time in the process of doing it well, do, do so, check it out. All those venues will say Birmingham is the next one with ticket availability, 16th and 17th of February. You've got Redditch on the 1st and 2nd of March. Then we're looking forward to the Litchfield date on the 18th of May. And then you're over at Briley Hill at Civic Hall on the 27th of September. So loads of chances to see the madness and uh, uh, sort of taking place with uh, Jack and the Beanstalk as the, uh, the, the panto where the cast, some of the cast at least, get a little uh, squiffy during the show. Jamie Jones, always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we look forward to catching up again soon. You too, Jason. I'll speak to you soon. Now, the self-assessment tax deadline has passed, which means, hopefully, fingers crossed, everybody who needs to has got their paperwork in. And to tell us more around what the next stage is and about some of the other issues surrounding our tax, I'm joined now by Simon Walkin. How are you doing, sir? I'm very good, Jason. How are you? I'm good too, thank you. Now, you work within HMRC and as part of the team trying to make sure we get the message across because tax itself is obviously something we're all subject to, even royalty, and we need to make sure that uh, we do fill all our forms in as required. And it was a biggie towards the end of January because that's everybody who's got a self-assessment form that uh, had to be done in time. That's right. The 31st of January every year comes around and many people uh, leave it to last minute. I think it's just human nature. Um, I've, I had a friend of mine texting me on the 31st of Jan saying he couldn't log in um, because he had a password issue. And I said, why have you left it to the last minute? Now, I've been self-employed in the past and I was, I was one of these annoying people that likes to get it sorted earlier on in the year. So around summertime, I used to find was the best time I could get everything together and do it nice and early. But yeah, January 31st is always the deadline. If you go past that, then you're looking at fines and penalties for not getting getting the data back to us in time and for not paying what you owe. Um, but if you can get organised, there are advantages, you know, to filing early. You know if you're owed money back, you know what you're going to be paying so you can budget, you can get more organised. Plus, you beat the rush. And I always say to people, look, if, you're, if your internet connection, your broadband goes down at the end of January and you're leaving it to the last minute, it's always just easier and more organised thing to start it earlier on in the year. But there were a record-breaking um, 11.5 million people, taxpayers, who submitted their self-assessment tax returns uh, in time for that deadline. And if you're talking, Jason, about the people who leave it last minute, I can tell you in that final hour, 11pm <laughs> till 11.59pm uh, on the 31st, of January, we saw almost 33,000 people 
ping off their returns in that final hour. They they, mm. they must handle stress a lot differently than I do. Well, I mean, but it is when they do. And the thing is, I mean, January this year, you're looking at your tax return uh, for 22-23. So it's what finished in April yep. uh, 2023. So you've had plenty of time to get it done. And it is about knowing what funds you need to be able to pay that bill as well, because I assume most people will have a tax account where they put the uh, their, their funds away and hopefully earn a bit of interest on it uh, whilst uh, it's waiting to go its uh, merry way to HMRC. So, you know, it, it's not all bad, but uh, it is important to, uh, to to get these things sorted out. And uh, if anybody has realised that uh, they, they, they completely forgot, I mean, what do they do now? I suppose it's always better to hold your hand up first rather than get a letter later. Absolutely right. We always say, just let us know, get in touch. I used the example in January of those people who are worried that they can't pay, so they might dig their head in the sand and, and you know, worry about it and stress. That's not the way to do it. Get in touch with us. We are approachable. We want to help. If, if the money that you owe is under £30,000 and you're struggling to pay that, you can actually set up a time to pay arrangement on gov.uk. So there is an option there and we only work out what you can afford. You know, we're never going to take the roof off from over your heads we'll work with you to get it solved so as you're saying jason if if you if you if you're worried about it and you've suddenly realized oops i should have filed i haven't just get in touch with us straight away and we'll work with you to make sure that any money you're owe or owe or any fines that maybe have, you've incurred that we can work with you to make sure you can you can pay it but in a for, an affordable way and we'll look at your in, in, incomings your outgoings and we'll work out um what you can afford to pay to get back on track but you're absolutely right the key thing is to get in touch with us and let us know about it because then what we can start to do is we can start to help you and it's always better if you come to us first rather than us coming to you and with the number of scams that are around out there as well, it's vitally important that you're the one contact the tax office because uh, we've been a moment or two's time. I'm going to play you a couple of the uh, the dodgy calls that people have been getting. And if the tax office ever has cause to contact you, it'll normally be by letter first, won't it? Uh, yeah, we use various methods of communication, but the key way of checking, Jason, is actually you can go on gov.uk, search phishing and scamming. That's phishing with a PH, not with your, your rod and bait. Um, on gov.uk and what we do is we publish online the letters or the texts or the emails that we're sending out to people so you can cross-reference it if you had a letter out of the blue and you think i wasn't expecting this you can check it on gov.uk what you can also do is check that all the contact details are genuine because you might find there's a phone number on there well you can look at that and cross-reference it with our hmrc numbers on gov.uk the important thing is when it comes to scammers is that they are clever people and they know when deadlines are. So they know when students are starting at uni and perhaps getting their first part time job. So they will think, oh, they might have registered for, um, you know, uh, PAYE or they might be registering, looking at national minimum wage. So they will drop emails into your inbox around those times so that you think, oh, yeah, I've just started work. I need to click on this. It must be genuine. It's not always the case. Scammers are clever. They use the deadline of the 31st of January. We find now that a lot of scammers will be pushing out emails to say, oh, you can get a tax refund. And if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. In the last year through to December, we actually reported almost 30,000 malicious websites to the Internet service providers. We get those taken down. Obviously, it's happening all the time. So you've just got to be very careful. And our top tips are to protect 
protect your information. Remember that cr criminals are cunning. Take a moment to think before you part with your money or your information, because remember, they might be after your info, like your government gateway. You don't share that with anyone, mm -hmm. not even if you've got an accountant, not even with them. They get their own login. Treat that like your bank detail. Use strong and different passwords on all your accounts and recognize and cross-reference it on gov.uk. You can actually forward suspicious items if you think that an email is phishing you can send that to us and help us fight against these scammers it's phishing at hmrc.gov.uk if you want to do that but the key thing is i think jason if there's a, a time pressure on there of you know you need to correct this with us right now or you get one of the voicemails that you might be playing as an example piece of yeah, audio we'll do that in a sec your house is under surveillance. We don't leave voicemails for you like that. That doesn't happen. We get in touch with you before it reaches that point. So never be pressurized into giving away your information or clicking on a link. Double check it. If you're not comfortable checking it yourself, ask a friend, a relative, or, or get in touch with us and we can help you with that. Yeah, so these are the two examples, of course. There are many more out there. But these two electronic people are not real and are not from HMRC. This is Officer Dennis Gray from HM Revenue and Customs. The hotline to my division is 0114-700-1553. I repeat, it is 0114-700-1553. Do not disregard this message and call us back. If you do not call us back or we do not hear from your solicitor either, then get ready to face the legal consequences. Goodbye, and take care. Call is to inform you that there is a tax fraud case registered under your name. You have to press 1 to get connected to the officer of HMRC. If in case you don't press 1 and your call is not connected to us, then the warrant will be issued under your name straight away and you will get arrested shortly. So those are some of the things we need to listen out for. If someone's telling you to press a button or to avoid being arrested, that isn't how the HMRC work, is it? No, it's not at all. No, we send genuine letters through the post. Uh, we do email and we do text as well. We don't use WhatsApp, so be careful of that one. Um, all the advice, and it's a really good read, actually, so you can be aware of what you can do to protect yourself, is on gov.uk if you search for phishing and scams. Just don't rush into anything. Take your time. Check with HMRC scam advice on gov.uk mm -hmm. um, and, and make and make relatives aware of it. If you have someone elderly, vulnerable in your family, make sure they're aware as well, because these these scammers, you know, they, they're cunning. They're cunning people. Absolutely. You nearly said what we really think of them then, didn't we? But there we go. So uh, as it is, there's obviously a lot else going on in the world of tax. And one thing that's uh, shown up recently has been the fact that if you are a maker on the likes of eBay or Etsy uh, or any of the selling sites out there, uh, if you're creating and uh, are selling as if it were a, a small business or if you're selling your own old unused property on there, there are tax rules which are, are now being enforced more rigorously. As uh, since the 1st of uh, January, uh, HMRC will, as a matter of course, have people's sales reports given to them. Yeah, so it's not actually changing the tax system, but what has changed is rather than us being able to ask the online marketplaces for information, instead they just send them to us by default every year. So that started on the 1st of January this year, which is why it became a story on social media and in the media. And it some of the articles led people to believe that if you're having a clear out and you're getting stuff 
getting rid of stuff in your loft or in your garage because our garage is a mess there's so much in there a lot of it will probably just bin but some things like an old push chair we have will probably stick on a marketplace now if you're getting rid of your old junk and you're having a clear out and you're selling things for less than you bought them for you don't need to worry about it you don't need to tell us about it however if you set up an online business and you're buying things with the intention to sell them and make a profit and make money on it. So I spoke to one gentleman on a podcast the other week who him and his partner have a business set up. They did it through lockdown. It's doing really well now. They buy like cups and mugs and they brand them and personalize them and sell them on and make a profit. That That's when you're trading. That's when it becomes a business. And if you're making over a thousand pounds a year from something, then that's when you need to tell us about it. But if you're not making a profit and you're just getting rid of junk in your loft for far less than you sold than you bought it for you don't need to worry about it at all well, good um, this, there the... are things online though it says that you know the thousand pounds that makes sense if you do if if you if it's a mini hobby then it's not a business as soon as it hits that thousand pound proceeds then that's the point at which it makes sense that you uh, you can do it. but there's this this comments online like about six thousand pounds worth of your own goods if you were to sell a car for seven grand would you have to tell hmrc no, not if you're getting rid of your car because you're probably selling it for less than you bought it for, so you're not going into a profit. If you bought something and it's um and we all dream of being in this situation, I think, you've you've bought this old painting and it's been sat in your garage for 10 years and you come to have a clear out and it turns out that this is a really ancient piece of art and it's worth an absolute fortune then if you sell a personal possession for more than six thousand pounds and you bought it for um then you're likely to have to pay capital gains tax on that so it could be a rare item and it's massively you know you go on these tv shows mm -hmm. and they say well actually it's worth a fortune if it's gone over that six thousand pounds mark in value then that's when you might be looking at paying capital gains tax on that um, if you find yourself in that situation there's lots of information on gov.uk for capital gains tax but your car you, you know it's probably had the the mileage has gone up on it the um, value of it's gone down that that that's not where that six thousand pound number has come from mm -hmm. so i say if you were lucky enough again to discover it's a classic car uh, then that again would be something to look at but only from the capital gains tax point of view it's not something which falls under your normal uh yeah twelve thousand some odd personal allowance whatever it happens to be at the moment that's it. Twelve thousand five hundred and seventy is your everyone's tax-free allowance, pretty much. Some people have um, different allowances depending on their circumstance, obviously. Um, but yeah, if it if it is something that's gone up in value, then that's when you're looking at capital gains tax. Another example of that is if you're collecting rare memorabilia, like maybe you've got an impressive sports memorabilia collection and i don't know because i'm not a big sport fan but if you've got some sort of scarf or i don't know you know rare football top and that's gone up in a lot of money then but it's probably quite rare you'd find yourself in that situation mm -hmm. the yeah. majority of people who are getting rid of old stuff from the garage that has had, you know you bought a pram for 200 quid it's now worth 80 quid which is where i find myself uh, you don't need to worry about that but a pokemon card that you picked up from a pack that's suddenly worth 800 pounds that's again it falls under the limit but if it was worth 10 grand then you need to talk exactly that yeah it's it's those big increases that you're talking about what actually happens with these online marketplaces is by default if someone's made over 30 transactions in a year or they've made over 2000 euros and it's in euros because several countries are involved in it um you'll automatically go on that spreadsheet and they'll send it off to hmrc and you get a copy of that data yourself now it might be the case that it is all personal stuff and there's nothing to worry about um but it's for it's actually for those businesses that are trading online and aren't 
have, have not got a level playing field with traditional businesses on the high street who are properly doing their accounts. So this is to make sure it's, it's, it's a more fair system that if you're trading online as a business, then you're doing the, the, the same as, as traditional businesses need to. But as you mentioned, I mean, during lockdown, many people will have sort of had a bit of a sideline as an extra income. And if that is the case, so if say somebody was you know, picking something up uh, from an antique shop and selling it, uh, they started, they bought it for 50 quid, sell it for 100 quid. Cumulatively, at what point do you, would would anything happen? If, they, if they're going over what sort of value, when do they need to ask, hang on, should I be doing self-assessment here? So the minute you're making over a thousand pounds a year on something, that's when you need to let us know about it. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to pay tax because that all depends on your the rest of your financial circumstance. You might be out of work. It might be a little hobby. You know, you're not earning PAYE twelve thousand five hundred and seventy a year allowance. So um, if it's over a thousand pounds a year, that's when you need to start letting us know about it through self-assessment. There's actually a little checker online on gov.uk if you search check if you need to file a self-assessment. It will ask you all these different questions of what you're making, where's it coming from, have you got this, have you got that. It's not reporting you, It's you don't put any information in, it's just a little guide, a tool that will help you figure out whether you need to file your self-assessment. So for anybody who is just hearing about this and thinking, hang on, they realise they have been doing this but didn't realise they needed to do anything about it. The, the 1st of uh, January information uh, and, 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 and change where the information becomes available. Is that only looking forward? So it happens from the 1st of January, it automatically goes across, or is there some historic level to it as well? So do they need to panic? Hang on, what did I spend last year and start adding everything up? Well, the key thing is, if you suddenly realise that, hold on a minute, I've been earning all this money from a business and it's gone well over that £1,000 a year, and you've been doing that for the past few years, then that's definitely the time to get in touch and tell us about it. And like I said before, we'll work with you and we'll figure out what we need to do to get everything balanced out and up to date. If um, if you've started trading now and you thought, okay, new year, this could be a new business, the online selling platform from the 1st of January this year, 2024, will by next year, 1st of January 2025, uh, will be sending that information over to us. So if you started trading this year, we'll be getting that information. And again, if you find it's going over a thousand pounds a year that you're making from something, then that's when you need to tell us about it. Yeah, so it's a thousand pound profit. It's not necessarily profit. It's if you're making over a thousand pounds a year from something. Right. That's when you need to tell us about it. But for the majority of people, if you're worried about the online marketplaces and what you're selling, if it's old tat you're getting rid of, you, nothing's changed. You don't need to worry about it. So, yeah, if it's just if it, it's if you're buying new stuff and if you are buying new stuff again, like the pottery company, they have receipts for everything. So they would only be taxed on the amount of profit that they've made. And, uh, you know, they, they, they can take into account the, the actual costs of them doing the job. It's it, it, they are a small business. So they would put together an account set up the same way as any business would with the likes yeah. of heating, light, all that sort of stuff, which becomes part of the costs of bringing that product to the marketplace. That's exactly it. Yeah. And that's what that rule is there for. So that um, once you're once you, you're you making that money from something, we don't know about it. You've not paid tax on it as you've earned it. That's when you need to start telling us about it when it goes over the thousand pounds. And yeah, if it's become a, a thriving little business, as you were saying, a lot of people did this through lockdown, I think, started little hobbies, you know, baking cupcakes, selling this, that and the other. And they've turned and they've turned into thriving little businesses that at the time they set them up, they didn't need to think about things like tax. But once you're getting over that thousand pounds, a year mark that's when you need to start looking into it 
So certainly worthwhile having the conversation. And again, if somebody is already on a self-assessment and they hadn't considered this to be part of their uh, their scheme, they need to sort of add in, again, that profitability because they probably already do an account anyway, so they know what they, they can and can't include. And uh, so they, they, they can take off their expenses, but they certainly need to show what their profit and, and yeah, potentially loss would be. That's it. It's about logging everything, isn't it? It's keeping a spreadsheet or whatever you want to do. Some people use different systems. That's entirely up to them. Or you might want to pay an accountant to do it for you. It's it's your choice. But yeah, keeping a log of everything that you've got, what's going in, what's going out, and, and building your self-assessment tax return from that. And there's a lot of help actually on gov.uk. If you search self-assessment, there's not just the guides of what you, you know, how you fill in a self-assessment, but we've also got a YouTube channel. HMRC Gov UK is our YouTube channel. And there are videos on there that talk you through a self-assessment. I know I find it easier to repair a kitchen tap by watching a YouTube video on how to do it. Um, and it's the, it's the same for many people for self-assessment. So hmrcgov.uk, uh, lots of help on YouTube and, of course, the main gov.uk site. So check out the details there, see how it affects you, what you need to let on and tell about, uh, because it's better to, again, have said and then be found out later on. And uh, I, it's, it, it, this, this, this point going forward, it is if you've done more than 30 transactions in a year that is the point at which uh it, it'll start to at least highlight uh, somebody to the hmrc via the reporting that each of these websites are doing that's it so um if you're if you're making over 30 transactions in a year or you cross that total of two thousand euros in a year then that information will come across to hmrc so yeah if that if you know if you if you're running a business and you're making a fortune online and haven't been telling hmrc about it then that information is going to be well we could request it anyway so it'll just be reported automatically to to hmrc certainly if it's something you're just starting up uh again get that information in there and uh, let hmrc know i'm just starting this there's no need to look back at my history and uh, of course you'll decide whether you need to or not I'm sure the teams will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, Simon Walking from HMRC. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for all those details. Obviously, what is the one main website people should start at if they have got any queries to do with tax? Always go to gov.uk. You'll find a wealth of information in there from all sorts, from your self-assessment um, to all the other bits and bobs that um, that, that tax covers. Um, it's always worth going straight online. There are there's a digital assistant as well if you've if you've got any questions, and that YouTube channel as well, hmrcgov.uk. So very helpful video guides there on doing self-assessment and and other other bits and bobs for you there too yeah and it's it's, it's all about us about playing fair it is an even playing field for everybody we're all governed by the same rules so it is important to make sure we are paying what we should be to ensure that we don't get picked up on it later on so i'm walking hmrc once again thank you for joining us thank you very much That's your love for this week. Thank you so much for joining me. Back with episode 765 next week. I'll see you then. Ta-ra for now. Goodbye from the mill bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the mill bar. Yeah.